Hey everybody, welcome to the Late Night Happy Hour. Brian Kamenetsky, Andy Kamenetsky joining you on Friday night. Um, and as we always like to point out on Friday night, hey! Yay! Hey! Bernie! Yeah! Bernie can get into Friday, we can get into Friday. I had a great conversation earlier today with Steve Mason, you know him and you love him from 710 ESPN, uh, our former colleague, uh, there, uh, and uh, really no reason, Andy, to delay. So let's just get right into it. I talked about TV, we talked Rams, we talked Dodgers, and uh, award season, all kinds of candle stuff. making, uh, painting, whole whole bunch of stuff. Mace, as it turns out, has some interesting history that you and I didn't even know about, and we've known him for a long time. That's exactly right. So here we go, our conversation with 710 ESPN, Steve Mason. Hey, Steve Mason, good to see you. How are you, sir? Hey, good, guys. How are you? Can't Man, complain. we miss you. We miss yeah. you. I miss you guys, too. I miss you on the station. I miss working with you. I always wonder what you, I wonder what you uh, kids are up to. Uh, <laughs> have you been looking under a bridge <laughs> you can you can find us there Down by the like Chris Farley. every time every time he passes one of those homeless encampments he just wonders if it's I us wonder, is there a Kamenitsky there <laughs> I don't check but I wonder <laughs> no no keep it that's moving. fair um you look well you look uh vaccinated how's that going yeah. for you I got my uh first vaccination I got it last Saturday and I, I was at the pharmacy picking up a prescription on Saturday night. And I said, hey, is it true that you guys have extra vaccines sometimes at the end of the day? And they said, yes, do you want one? And so me and Juan both got our vaccines. There were eight of them left over. And they have to destroy them or throw them away if nobody gets them. So they actually went on the loudspeaker in the pharmacy and said, if you don't have your vaccine yet, we have extras. So I felt like... Uh, I was a little sensitive about getting it. I'm not really at the age where you're supposed to get it, but it was going to go to waste. So I thought, get it. Mm, you're closer to the age than you'd like to admit. Oh, no, I've got years. I've got years. <laughs> that's that's the story that you like to tell. What's it like to be the, the real first one? millennial vaccinated, Mace? Right, right exactly. The first Gen uh, Z to, to qualify <laughs> yeah, for, exactly. for vaccination. So you, this is the story you tell is the real one, one where you elbow old people and teachers out of the way because you're a very important radio host. No, um, it's you know, like black Friday going for the vaccines. <laughs> people over and stuff. No, I really, it was really pretty, pretty calm, but I was really excited about it. And, uh, once I get the second one, I, I keep saying, I'm going to live my best life. I mean, I'm going to go to Dodger games and I'm going to go to a Lakers game and, we're going to go to Costa Rica, hopefully go to Costa Rica in early April. Cause you know, I love to get out of the country when I, when I can just hoping they yeah. let in. I, I was going to say like, have you actually been keeping track of how it's going over in Costa Rica and like the, the viability of traveling over there and stuff like that? Well, the, it's, it's viable. I mean, you can make reservations, you can get the flight, you can get the hotel. I mean, knowing that we're covered, we're, we're vaccinated. I'm not so, worried about it right it's i'm not going to get it we're not going to get it so i think it's i think it's okay to travel yeah all right well i always let you whether or not they'll let you back in correct whether or not that's the that's <laughs> the big issue but i i hope i hope uh whoever is letting people back in is a fan now um i saw in a tweet that you sent out about today's show uh mason and ireland on 710 um you, you had a video announcement about some of the topics but in the background 
was two paintings. Right. So let's be honest. Nobody gives it. Nobody cares what you're talking about in the show. <laughs> right. Right. This is um, what matters. But, this is the shit people care about. <laughs> and, and we see behind you there. Are, there are two paintings that you made. Uh, I would say similar in yeah. presentation. Can Can you explain to us exactly what what these are? Um, this period that you're going through right now as a painter? <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> this actually was in the 90s and I was hardcore into my yoga practice and studying yoga. So if you look at the colors, those are the colors of the chakras. It goes red, yellow, green for the heart chakra, blue for the throat chakra, purple uh, is the third eye center, mm -hmm. and then white is you know the ultimate color. Uh, that you you get through the top of your head. So I did two variations. I did one that is very crisp on the right, uh, where it's uh, you know a very crisp shape of a person. You can see it's a shape of a person. The other one I did sort of more uh, I don't know what would you say impressionistic way? abstract um... way. Yeah. So so there are two variations. One really sharp and one really uh, abstract, but they're both the same thing. Who are so your now, great influences? Uh, is it? Are you a Bob Ross kind of guy? <laughs> Picasso? Uh, uh, I think I'm very Van Gogh. There's another painting in the house that looks like it is a direct, like low end uh, Van Gogh ripoff. Um, <laughs> but I, I think he was probably, and he painted the same stuff over and over again too. I've been to the Van Gogh Museum in uh, in the Netherlands, uh, in Amsterdam, and he just painted the same thing over and over again. He must have painted. Talk about a guy who loves himself. He must have painted a hundred self-portraits. <laughs> and that was and they think I, I was about to say, is this the next thing? Like, is was that your inspiration? Is like you're now just going to fill your house with with Steve's? Uh with Mason Originals? Uh no. I think my painting career has come to an end. I went through a big phase. I went through like four years where I was painting like virtually every day. And there's stuff out in the garage that I painted. Only three of them made the house. One only allows three of them to be in the house. The rest of them are stacked up in the garage. So are the, the two that we saw, are they yeah. self-portraits? It's a good question. They look they look like self-portraits. They look like they could be a silhouette. Yeah, well, that's that's what they're meant to be. They're meant to be a silhouette. Now is that me? Uh like there's there's that there's there's your butt. <laughs> yeah no you can see Steve Mason butt. You can see the one leg crossed. And you can see the uh, the arm in sort of prayer position. So yeah, I guess you could say those. But are it also cool. though, Mace, it looks like it could be just a self portrait of your face and profile. Oh, as well yeah. as the nose. See the nose. That is not me in <laughs> profile. But I'm, and now I see what you're talking about. That's <laughs> right. But, but, but I think that's what makes the art so deep, Mace. I mean, like first of all, it's so deep you didn't even discover it until just now. Right. But also, and like everyone see it. No, right, I can't unsee it at all. <laughs> I'm sorry I ruined this for you. <laughs> well, you know what? The art is meant to be uh, open. And I, I, You know what? I shouldn't have even described it. I should have asked you to give me your impressions of it instead of explaining. what. <laughs> well, then on. we just would have opened with Steve. It is so brave of you to feature your nose in that way because we know <laughs> it's such a sensitive topic. Um <laughs> The other thing I like, so like, you know, with those paintings, let's, let's compare it to say the, uh, the top, have you been following top shot? You seem like the kind of person who'd be following top shot. Yes. I uh, have uh, yeah, I, weird I, video baseball. Or yeah. The digital, the digital, the digital keepsakes on for the NBA, like the LeBron 200 and something thousand dollar highlight, digital highlight versus the Steve Mason chakra series. 
Um, <laughs> which do you think collectors value more? Well, I mean, I don't know which, I don't know what those top shot things are going to be worth ultimately, but I know my paintings <laughs> several offers. Uh, they said, can we buy a print? So I think I could probably make money selling prints of my paintings. I don't understand the top shot thing. I mean, I, I would I be stressy about investing in a little video clip of LeBron that's available on YouTube. I so don't get this. At all. I, I I get what it is. I just I do, I'm like you. I feel like the market for the well, but look, baseball cards were a market for a while because people decided they had value. I just don't understand. I, I think at some point people are gonna the the value of these things if people just decide they don't care crashes. That's the part that that makes me wonder. Well, the thing is, it makes it because the NBA and the NBA PA are both behind it, it makes it more likely to stay a viable market, I think, because they're making money off of it. Oh, yeah. Well, it's just trendy right now, though, too. So it's like, you know, it's, every, it's, it's, it, 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 it's Bitcoin-y, it's, it's, it's uh, GameStop-y. Well, do not confuse it. Don't no, I, the, I'm not Bitcoin and the top shots. I, people do not understand Bitcoin. I own a fair amount of Bitcoin, and it's currency. It's... Hard money. That's different than a trade. It's sort of currency. It's 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 a. I mean, we don't have to get it, but I I actually am and in, in thinking about putting a little bit of money into Bitcoin. But what I mean by that is, it's blockchain. It's digital. Yeah. It's not something you physically yeah. hold, like a baseball card. It's right. a tradable thing, but it's not so. But it, it 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 has a lot of those qualities if you understand sort of the digital part of it. Um, I just, I just, I don't know how long that market lasts and I'm not getting myself. I, 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 like I said, I'll invest in Bitcoin. I think I'm going to invest in Bitcoin. I'm not going to invest in Topshop. Maybe I'll be wrong. I don't know, yeah. but that just doesn't seem. Yeah. Uh, I invested in baseball cards. I've got 500 Frank Thomas rookie cards in the garage that are supposed to be worth $60 a piece. Mm -hmm. so I'm hoping we reach a time when I will be able to pay for things in Frank Thomas rookie cards. <laughs> is, Jeez, is, uh, is Juan more likely to let those into the house or no, more paintings? Not coming in the house. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I got to tell you, Mace. Between those cards and the art, you really need to be just specifically insuring your garage. Like, there, there's a lot going on in there. It's it's, yeah. it's close to the Louvre, if, if yeah, I can say yeah. so myself. Uh, last question on this before we move on. Yeah. Uh, you described your painting phase. You strike me because we've known you for a long time now as a phase guy. Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> Oh, what yeah. are some of your other like what are like the greatest phases uh or even like the the the, yeah. the ones that you look back on and say i'm not sure what i was thinking there this is the best for, so first of all i do it a lot with food like there was a day i ate a reuben sandwich every single day for six months why <laughs> because I, there were 20 straight donut nights um uh, because i i sought like order in my life and eating the same thing every day was helpful uh in that this is the worst phase though so I went through a candle making phase. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, and I would buy the, the wax thing. <laughs> you know, you'd put layers in, like I'm put some red wax and then I'm some green wax. And you'd put the layers in it. Uh, and you put like dried flowers in it. <laughs> I, went through, I went through a candle making phase. It was absolutely ridiculous. Thank God. <laughs> How long did that last? One year, one year, everybody in my family 
got a handmade candle. <laughs> and you never see those sitting around. <laughs> it, would, it would explain a lot of the dysfunction in your family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, these are the yeah. gifts people are receiving. This is how you're expressing love with these candles. Yeah, the candle phase, that was something. How did it end? Like, what, did you just wake up one day and said, I'm done making candles and I'm on to you? <laughs> Rubens, on to how did that go? That's the thing. Like, I'll drop it and it, it, I will never go back to it. Like, I will never paint again. I painted like for three years and then oh, I that's dropped a shame. it. Shame. Candle making six months. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, shame. I want to see you paint the other half of your head. Where's the Where's the Getty when you need it? Uh, yeah. So, and I dropped things like when I was a little kid, uh, we played racquetball every day for an entire yes. summer. And I mean, we played from dawn to dusk and then school started and I never played racquetball again. It was just like the summer of racquetball. It was a phase and it ended. Racquetball was really big though. Like in the late seventies, early eighties, like, it was huge. When like, you were in your twenties or thirties. <laughs> yeah, right. When I was in my 20s or 30s. Thank you. Yeah. By the way, I, I'm at that age where I had to turn to Juan today and say, now, so my birthday's coming up. Am I going to be mm -hmm. 55 or 56? <laughs> I do that a lot. I couldn't do the math in my head. It's obviously 55. No, it's obviously 56. It's 21. But yeah, I guess I'm at the point where I have to ask somebody to even know what year it is on my birthday. Again, Mace, you're closer to that vaccine cutoff than you really <laughs> want to admit. <laughs> are you? Be honest. When you got to the front of that line, we're like, "Oh, sir, you're here for your vaccine appointment, aren't you?" And you're like, "No, <laughs> no, no, I'm here." Scrounging for extras. <laughs> I'm far well, too young, ma'am. Give me all eight. I want to be really safe. I didn't get carded, which was good. <laughs> nice. That is nice. I, I, I. You heard that story, by the way, didn't you? Of course, it's in Florida. Of those two women, I want to say, like in their thirties, yeah, who dressed yeah. up as grannies to get the yeah, vaccine. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. That amazing. I mean, everybody's waiting for it, and you know, today they said. You know, they made an announcement, uh, I guess, the state that uh, outdoor sporting events, they're going to allow fans yeah. maybe up to 20 percent, which is like fantastic news. People are going to get to uh, be at Dodger Stadium when they actually unveil the World Series banner. Like all that stuff is going on. It is it is better. I'm getting more optimistic every day. Well, that, OK, that's actually we were going to ask you about. Uh, the Dodgers, you know, just so this is a good way, way to seg into it as any, and like the idea of you actually being there to watch them. Like, how much to begin? Like, how much do you think this team? Because this is the the psychology of this group that's been together for a long time. I think has been fascinating to watch in terms of the that period where they couldn't get over the hump for a variety of different reasons. Some self inflicted, some as it turned out, you know, were Astros inflicted and the cheating yep. and all that stuff. They've finally gotten over this hump. How freeing do you think it's actually going to be in terms of the future of this team and what they can accomplish moving forward? Just not having that to contend with anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think of guys like Kershaw, who has dealt with that uh, monkey on his back for the last, what, 10 years, really. Um, they've won eight straight division titles. I think this would be number nine. Do I have that right? I think this would be number nine. Um, you know, they finally got World Series pressure off of them. And... I think they're going to play a lot more free, a lot looser. I don't think the world is going to be on their shoulders this time around. They're obviously unbelievably talented. And signing Trevor Bauer, 
who, uh, you know, as your number three starter, having the reigning Cy Young Award winner is just incredible. So much depth on that team. Uh, I I think, I mean, and so 162 games, I think they're going to win 100. But it still comes down to those last 11. You know, the last 11 are the really tough wins that you got to come up with. And there's no guarantee the team with the most talent doesn't always win as, as we've seen. So uh, there will be pressure, but it will not be like it was this past year. I, the thing that, I mean, look, and we, we've talked to, uh, I think it was, it was Jorge Castillo who pointed out that like these guys want not so much to prove that last year was legit. Oh, like it's not like anybody didn't think they were a really good team. They want the stuff. They want to win in a year where you can do all the fun things. Yeah. And I, I I was trying to figure this out, and you can tell me if I'm right. Like a like a weakness. If you were going to really pick nits on on this team, you can say back into the bullpen. You're not sure who closes games. Okay, that doesn't really matter into the playoffs. And even now, we've learned in the playoffs that doesn't really matter either because that can change from game to game. It could yeah. be Jansen. It could be Urias. It could be Dustin May. It could be anybody. Um, the only other thing I could come up with is they're, they feel slightly less versatile yep, in their utility stuff because, like, with Jock gone and Kike gone, now, like, you need Chris Taylor to be able to play more positions better, or, like, hit a little more. Play second base if Gavin Lux isn't ready. And then right. to, to plug in at third base or in left field or any of those other places you would put Chris Taylor. So, yeah, they're, they're short on – what I would call positionality. So um, is that is that like that's got to be the most first world problem that you could ever come up with for a baseball team where like you know what your utility left fielder might not be up to snuff. Yeah. Like if that's the worst thing you can find, this is an excellent baseball team. Yeah, it is great because I mean, you really are picking nits at this point because that is just that is an unbelievably talented team. That's the best Dodgers team I mean, with the addition of uh, of Bauer. That's got to be the best Dodgers team in terms of talent that we've seen in our lifetimes. It, it's pretty remarkable. They're, they're stacked the Padres, as hell. How much do you think the Padres can push them? Because for my own entertainment, I hope the answer is a lot because I would like this season to be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I love what the Padres did. Fernando Tatis Jr. is, you know, budding superstar, fourth in MVP voting last year. I mean, he's he's the real deal. Machado – uh, sort of uh, woke up down there, and uh, he's now part of a dynamic, probably the best double play combination in all of baseball, at least in terms of uh, offense. And, you know, you go out and you you uh, add you Darvish, who we all laugh about here in Los Angeles, Pluto, who had a really good year with the Cubs last year. Uh, Blake Snell, who we saw in the World Series. They still have Denilson Lamette. Uh, they still have Chris Paddock. They've got depth in their rotation too. So I think they can push us a little bit. I mean, I I, I would imagine this is probably – it's not going to be a runaway division. They're going to play 17 times. Uh, I would imagine the series are going to get very chippy. In the end, I think the Dodgers probably win the division by five or six games, but I, but I think they're going to push us. Well, I mean, I'm not particularly concerned about this team in terms of complacency, but if you were at all, I'd say it's an, it's an advantage – that you've got a team in your division that actually you know in the back of your head, you know, maybe maybe they're not as good as us, but they're not that far off just right. to keep things interesting over the course of 162 games. Yeah, I mean, I think they're in the conversation. I mean, if I was to say who is the second most talented team in the National League, I would say it is the Padres. I don't think it's close. I mean, I mean who, I, who I else could it be? 
goes Braves, and then it goes yeah, maybe Atlanta, maybe. Mets are actually going to be really good. But I, yeah. I don't, but I still, I, I mean, you you follow this stuff way closer than I do, in part because you're in the most ridiculous fantasy league yeah, ever quit, invented. Quit uh, I played that thing for a year, and I'm like, this is too much. This is stupid. The rules are ridiculous and the level of depth that you have to get into to play in this league is absurd and it's not for me yeah it is it is but Uh, aren't you a little worried about the Mets and their like the health of their pitching yeah I mean I I think so I mean Syndergaard is a question mark sometimes to DeGrom can be a question mark sometimes but they've got they added Stroman they've got I mean they've got arms uh that extend that uh that rotation a little bit more um, I I think the Mets are going to be pretty damn good. Uh, I think they'll win the East. Uh, I think uh, the Braves will win the Central. I think the Dodgers will win the West. I think the Padres will be a wild card, and maybe the, the I, Braves I, are moving. Are the Braves aren't the Braves in the East? Braves are. Did you they make, move? Yeah. What am I thinking? No, I think they're no. Like they were in the they were the NL East like in the eighties. Yeah, maybe they are. Maybe they are. <laughs> Pretty sure they are. Uh, yeah, I, I, mean, I probably should have let that go. Sorry well, about that. Googling as we speak. Uh, yeah, the Braves are in the East. You're right. Yeah. How about that? Score one for me. Yes, yeah, I have one. a lot of time to look. The, I have a lot of time to research these things when I, you know, under the bridge as I'm looking for cans <laughs> <laughs> and a hot spot <laughs> to actually get some internet. Uh, you'd be surprised how much baseball we talk under the bridge. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, I can it really passes the time. It's probably um, a fantasy league down there. So you're going when they open up Dodger Stadium. Whenever they do that, you're going to be there, right? Yeah, I'm going to be there. All right. Yeah. So socially distanced, I have an idea of what you can do for the seats next to you. Okay. Don't get rid of the cutouts. Bring cutouts of yourself and put three cutouts of yourself around you. So there's real Steve in the middle of all the cardboard Steves. I think that would be here's a fun two bit. of them right here. Right, oh, there's, there's two of them. it's a good idea. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good idea. Uh, two kind of right there, plus the one in the you know the other one in the house. I could have more. I could have more made. <laughs> there you go. I, they, like it's your own version of the Ramley, yeah. like a Dodger Stadium, because you you own that section, Mace. Let's be oh, honest. My, uh, by the way, new stadium. That means probably going to be in SoFi this year. Uh, and a new Ramley. Had a tour of it from uh, Demoff, uh, Kevin Demoff, about uh, three, four months ago. He took us through all socially distanced and all that stuff. And I'm telling you, that place is, I've never seen a stadium like that. Never. It is going to absolutely blow people away when they get inside of it. And uh, I've got real, my section is now, I'll say it here. I don't, I don't want everybody to know, but my section is um, pretty damn good. Uh, and I probably won't see a lot of my Ramley friends that I used to see. Ooh la la. Yeah, I know. You I are know. leaving the old Ramley for the new Ramley. And will you will you th- if you pass one of them in the in the hallways or something, the concourse, will you acknowledge them or will you thumb your I nose at them because they, they have I, shittier seats than you? No, I mean my seats are real. Ireland saw my seats. He was like, oh. Damn, you really went all in on this thing. And I, you know, I'm not a I'm not a spendy guy. I'm I don't I don't live you you guys have been to my house. I don't live in yeah. the family house in the world. Um, like John Ireland. Um <laughs> and this was one thing that I felt like I really wanted to go big on. 
Um, and so I, I went big on it. I get I get really good seats, and I finally get to see a game from uh, at SoFi Stadium from those seats this coming year. Especially now with this new health advisory and the fact that there's going to be maybe enough vaccine for every American by the end of May. Well, not not if people like you keep <laughs> jumping in and taking them early. <laughs> no, fun, fun fact, yeah, fun fact about Steve though, he paid for his season tickets entirely in Frank Thomas rookie cards <laughs> <laughs> and Bitcoin. Right. And leftover vaccines that he palmed. <laughs> <laughs> Passed along on the open market. So right before they threw those away, were you like, no, 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 no. I'll take them. I'll, I'll, I'll totally take them. Exactly. exactly. Mace is walking. If you ever see Mace outside like a Rite Aid with a big coat. <laughs> black carpet. <laughs> you like a vaccine? <laughs> people are though. A lot of people are doing that. They're like calling the pharmacy at four o'clock or five o'clock and hoping that they've got extras. People are Moderna. I got the Moderna. Wait, wait, wait. What you want Johnson Johnson? You want shot one? You shot two? You got? I got some Pfizer here. I got some Pfizer. You want some Pfizer? I got the Pfizer. <laughs> yeah. You guys don't have no, your no not yet. No, we we have not uh, qualified yet, uh, yeah. age wise, which is yeah. <laughs> I guess a good thing. No, it's, um, it is thing actually are you are you feeling good about the team that you're actually going to be seeing in sofi uh there's been a lot happening um i am really excited i mean i'm really i was a relentless jared goff supporter until really this year when i thought he just completely fell apart i mean he is so a far cry from the quarterback he was in 2018 i mean i was at that kansas city chiefs rams game on that Monday night when Patrick Mahomes and uh, Jared Goff went absolutely nuts. And Jared Goff yeah. was throwing pinpoint passes that night. I don't know what happened to the guy. At some, at some point, he got shook, and he just was never the same guy again. And so I'm really excited to get Matthew Stafford in, a guy who clearly uh, Sean McVay will bring the best out of. I, I tried. Well, I tried so hard. Andy will tell you. I tried so hard to – like I wanted to like Jared Goff and I wanted to think he's a good, like, a, like he's not terrible, but I wanted to think he was good, like really good, like a franchise caliber guy that you'd want to keep around for decades. And Andy will tell you, I just couldn't get there. Yeah. yeah. What I think though is really interesting. Mace is with, with the Rams. And we talked about this with Lindsay theory um, a few weeks ago, the idea that at some point, if you feel like the Rams are regressing, and, you know, right. I, I think their regression has been a little bit overstated, but, you know, they certainly have not been back to the Super Bowl since that uh, 2018, you know, or 70, whichever year it was. They have not been oh, back well, since. Seven and 12 and four. I mean, come on. Yeah, right, well, yeah, I'm saying like I, I think it has been overstated, but nonetheless, they have not reached that point again. And there's been concerns about them moving backwards. We're starting to run out of people that you can put that on that aren't Sean McVay or Les Snead. Like in terms of decisions that's been made, the system being run, whatever. Get, because ridiculous criticism, I really do. Um, you know, you, you're in the party every year. You're getting to the dance every year. The best you can do is make the playoffs every single year, and then hope for that great day. I mean, that's what happened for the Rams the first time around. Um, they had a great day when uh, Nicole Roby Coleman uh, knocked that frying pan, the Waffle House pan, Waffle House frying pan. I mean, you know, the best you can do is to get in there. Um, and you know, they're going to be in it again this year. And I was talking to somebody this week who thinks they may wind up with Vaughn Miller as the new edge rusher. 
I mean, they are. How, all... how do they do that though? Because we, you know, we when we had Jordan Rodriguez on, for example, it was like, I mean, she's and she's wonderful, and you know, delivers this stuff, and she's a very optimistic person. And you guys should have her on your air as yeah. much as you possibly can. She's great. It was like the it was like a list of doomsday stuff. All the people that are expected to leave, you know, some of whom are going to Brand with Brandon Staley, and some of them they just can't afford. So where do they get the people? Or is it just if you have Aaron Donald and you have uh, Jalen Ramsey in the in you know as your bookends on defense, and you have a good quarterback in Matthew Stafford and a good offensive mind in Sean McVay, you have enough stuff to get through because they don't have any money to do anything. Well, they've got a little bit of room under the cap. They do have some maneuverability under the cap, um, and they are going to lose. I mean, the two impact pieces that they're going to lose. I mean, of all the guys that are going away, you know, Josh Reynolds and Gerald Everett and guys that are really nice players. Uh, but but they're not going to retain them. The two guys that they're going to miss are Leonard Floyd, who had just a tremendous season, yeah. and John Johnson, who is a pretty state-of-the-art safety in this yeah. league. He's um, very good. Those are the guys that they need to replace. And the the idea that I think what they benefit from is that guys do want to play for the Rams. Guys do want to play in Los Angeles. Guys do want to play in that brand-new stadium. And guys want to play for a team that's going to compete for a Super Bowl. And it was actually Bill Barnwell who suggested Von Miller to the Rams. There is there is room. I mean, they are going to replace those guys. Uh, there's talk about Marvin Jones, the wide receiver from Detroit, who Matthew Stafford would really yeah. like to throw to again. I mean, there are going to be additions to this team, but a lot of it is going to be the defensive depth that they built up over the last few years. It'll be interesting to see what it looks like this upcoming season. You well, know, I think – they did get they 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 could get another Leonard Floyd in the same way they got last year's Leonard Floyd, which is he's lying around at the end of you know the sort of the training. Right. There are gonna be a lot of dudes out there because a lot right. of teams are cutting the guys. Se- the, the season before was uh, Dante Fowler. You know he was right. considered a reclamation project before the Rams. You know he really had a terrific season with them. Leonard Floyd was not hot property. The fact nope. was that uh, Brandon Staley had coached him in Chicago, and he remembered uh, Leonard Floyd and said, "That guy's a guy that I can coach up." I would imagine Leonard Floyd's going to wind up in, in San. I almost said San Diego uh, with the Chargers. They could commute like Kawhi Leonard. Sure, <laughs> they could. I'm feeling like I, it may just be a situation where you could put you know any of the three of us down as an edge rusher. As long as Aaron Donald is in the middle and we get like eight sacks. Makes every edge rusher look good. You're absolutely right. Um, so Andy was texting me like we could use a music clip here. Um, it's, it's late. I did not mean to send it right at that moment. We have, we have a potential music clip. I, and I, it's my fault. I didn't load it in. The producer of this show sucks. Um, so it's not loaded. So Andy, you're going to you're gonna have to go on. Uh, it's okay. Um, we So we want to... We wanted to get into obviously the uh, Culture Pop podcast, which you've been doing for a while with Sue Kalinsky, and you you guys have just been getting really good guests. You've been getting <laughs> half vaccinated. <laughs> I just noticed that. <laughs> half. Uh, no, that part, the, the live production works really well. It's just the remembering to do stuff before we start, like thinking of it on the fly and adding. That's great. It, it's no, it's no worries. Um, but you guys have been doing a great job with that. And you've been dealing as best you can with what is apparently a contractually obligated uh, use of Chris Morales's voice in the beginning. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I assume that that was the fee required in order to get him on board. Chris started as the producer, but now, like you guys, I do I do all of it. Like I record it, I edit it, I add, and I just haven't gotten a chance to uh, replace Chris Morales yet. (laughs) Um, 
I would never replace Chris Morales just in case he's watching. <laughs> with the with the show, like when you're setting up these interviews and you you and Sue are thinking about the questions you're going to ask, like what are you looking to get out of them the most? Like a particular element you want listeners to take away from the shows, because a lot of times they, these guests that you have, they're doing press tours and things like that. So yep. there there's a lot of stuff that you could ask them that they're being asked other places. So in terms of what you specifically want to get out of them, what what usually is it? Well, what I really want to get, and I think we're starting to do a better job of this, is get them into more of a conversational mode, um, as opposed to just ask a question, get an answer. Um, the last couple, and they're, they're going to be Aaron in the next couple of weeks. We're cranking out two of these a week. Uh, they're much more conversational. And one of the interesting things is we did them only audio for a, for a really long time. And we never brought up people's pictures um, and didn't set it up the way you guys have, have this set up right now. And once we changed to leaving the cameras on, it became much more of a conversation. It's interesting how that works. When you see somebody, it becomes much more like a conversation. So the last few, and I think from this point forward, um, we're going to be able to see each other, which I think gets to a, to a more personal level. And then I like to make them cry. That's the other thing. I like to find a way to make that guest cry. <laughs> Wait, have you found it yet? Have, well, you, have, you, have you gotten anybody weeping? No, still, still trying. I got a very emotional Wilson Cruz coming up, uh, but oh. no, technically, technically no crying. Oh, well, uh, I mean, I, you're, I you're getting close. Conversation. I wanted to be smart, and you know, I wanted to represent the other part of me. You guys know, you know, on the air, I'm you know ridiculous boob. Off the air, I'm less of one. Uh, and you're just a regular boob. Yeah, regular. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I mean, I see a lot of movies. I watch, you know just about everything there is. And I love talking about uh, film uh, as I have with you guys over the years and, and great TV. So uh, this is just another avenue for me to do that stuff. Oh, we, we actually, I really enjoyed the recent interview that you did with Anthony Rapp. Um, there he is right there. People can remember him from uh, Dazed and Confused, uh, Star Trek, uh, all sorts of stuff. But you, you, you spent a lot of time talking about his background in music, uh, musical theater. Yes. He's, he's worked a lot on Broadway. He's an, he's an incredibly talented actor. Be honest, how much were you living vicariously through him uh, <laughs> over the course of talking with him, over the course of going through the research of his career? Because you you would have loved to have been that Broadway guy, right? I absolutely, I would have loved to play Mark Cohen on Broadway. And here's the thing about it, I'll say it now. Um, you didn't have to be the greatest singer in the world to play Mark Cohen. Like if the high school production of Rent was going on, I could definitely play Mark Cohen, December 24th, 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. From here on in, I shoot without a script. Uh, it's the opening line of the show. I, I really, oh, there, there you go. So is, is, this, is this voice Rent quality? <laughs> it is. It's not exactly, although, you know, you can see, I'm not awesome. Like, I'm hitting, I'm very close to many of the notes. <laughs> well, I mean, look, if you bat, if you bat 350 in the major leagues, you're a Hall of Famer. Yeah. And you're hitting, you're batting 350 here. Yeah, I know. That was the scariest thing I did. You walk out on a red carpet to the center of the ice, and you are there by yourself. Yeah. 
and uh, you've got nowhere to go. Um, the Dodger Stadium, when I sang it, you got the lyrics on a big scoreboard, so you would there was no chance you were going to forget anything. Here, you're just alone on the on the ice, and uh, there's a lot of pressure. This was the most pressure I felt during the anthem. I will uh, say, like I, I, th- you know, the players look like very respectful and all that. Uh, like they're not offended at the performance, and maybe because most of them are Canadian. Um, but I look, you did it. I, there's zero percent chance I would ever get out there to do that. Yeah, I uh, I like a good challenge. The anthem. <laughs> well, you, you know, it's weird. the only two songs I can sing are the national anthem. That's going to be an open fire. I do that for the holidays, and I do. Um, <laughs> I do the national anthem the rest of the year, but otherwise I'm not. I'm not. I don't have a good singing voice. So when you go to the director for the musical theater stuff, you're like, I need you to write me some material, but I can only sing two songs. Well, you know what I did in high school? They gave me My Fair Lady, um, which is talk singing, which is actually uh, right in my wheelhouse. Um, I got. I got to tell you that. She nearly makes the day begin. I've grown accustomed to the tune. She's whistled night and noon. Her smiles, her frowns, her ups, her downs are second nature to me now. The, the accent's transformative. <laughs> yeah, really, yeah. really takes you places. <laughs> this is bonus material. You're not going to get this anywhere else. No. I will say that I, I, I am the last person to, to make fun of anybody for the accent they use in a high school musical. Is Andy... Uh, as correctly points out, we did cabaret in high school, which in and of itself is a separate conversation about like a very risque musical to do in high school. Yeah. But I played, I played one of the Nazis, irony. Um, but I played one of the Nazis, and um, I tried to do a German accent. And I think in the history of even high school stage, there has never been a less successful attempt to do accent work than me with my German accent. It was totally awful. Oh, that would uh, Colonel Clink would have been like aspirational. <laughs> like that would have been great. It was awful. I'm telling you, cabaret in high school—that is a really, really out there musical for high school. We even cut out some stuff. There's, you know, there's, there's, it, it was really risque. But like we did, you know, like we cut out the abortion stuff, which yeah. is a, a part of it. And but even then, it's still like, in hindsight, I'm not sure it was appropriate. But yeah, it's you know, crazy, high school right? girls in a cabaret. Yeah, yeah. But, but you right told me afterwards. You're right about Anthony Rapp. I was absolutely living vicariously yeah. through him. Yeah, I mean, he's a he's just really, really talented. But just that that life is what I picture you picturing, like the alternate universe, Steve Mason, yeah. like the, the Earth Two version of Steve Mason, because you lived in New York for a while. I New know York. you saw tons of shows. Yep. I was, uh, and, and little known fact, I was accepted to Yale drama school. Um, I did not know that. Yeah. No. I accepted the Yale drama school and mom and dad said, you've got a full scholarship at Bowling Green State University. That's where you're going. Uh, but I wonder what that life would have been like, had I gone to Yale drama school and pursued that. I mean, think I, how uh, good your performance was a candle maker or a. for <laughs> <laughs> the role of candle maker. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just think, just think how more nuanced your role in uh, in your performance in Little Devil would have been oh, if you had that Yale training. Performance, yes, would have been uh, would have dialed that back just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> little over the top. Um, we we yeah. want to actually also. Hoo-ah. You look at two years later, and you're like, God, that was so awful. Like, what was you that? Know, 
four years ago when I did that project. It's terrible now. <laughs> Don't ever look back. I wrote screenplays that I, I would write a screenplay and then two years later I'd go back and look at it. I'd be like, what the hell was I thinking? This is absolutely awful. Because I guess you're just always growing and changing and judging yourself. I think those for are- the- for the few people who haven't seen it, uh, Little Devil was a short film that uh, Mace wrote, uh, produced, and starred as Lee, At- Lee Atwater, correct? Yeah, Lee Atwater, who was a, uh, a really rough uh, right-wing political uh, strategy guy uh, back in the George H.W. Bush uh, era. Was he the uh, Willie Horton guy? He was the Willie Horton guy, exactly. He's the one that created the Willie Horton ad. It really torpedoed uh, Michael Dukakis's campaign against that, that, that in the tank. What's that? That in the tank moment. That in the tank moment. Yeah, him <laughs> wearing a tank. <laughs> yeah. There he is. Uh, didn't, look, didn't look presidential at that point. Yeah, but no. uh, yeah. So that was a short film. That's another phase I went through. The short film phase. I made like three of them, and then I'm like, I would never make another short film ever under any circumstance. I have no interest. When you say you made them, were, were you the driving force behind them or were you happening to just act in a bunch of them? No, I was the driving force behind them. I didn't know that. What were the I other ones? Only the one. Uh, one was called It's Over. Uh, and it was, it actually starred Juan, um, who is, uh, is an actor and was kind of a surreal David Lynch kind of vibe. I produced that. And the other one was a about um, two senior citizens who knew more about uh, sex than their kids uh, and were more adventurous about it than their kids. Um, And that was called uh, uh, Nothing Lately. So I made three short films uh, and I would never go back and do it again. It was a great experience. I loved doing it uh, when I did it, but I, I'm like, I, I couldn't go back and do that. Okay. Gun to your head. You have to pick one phase to go back to. Rubens, yep. Candle making, yeah. Painting or yeah. short films. One, one. I would choose. Uh, I would choose candle making. Candle making <laughs> really. I didn't get enough time making candles. <laughs> I only made it to one holiday season, so uh, they could have all used candles for another Christmas. That, that one season, Mace, where your whole family got both the candles and the chestnuts roasting over an open fire. <laughs> what a holiday treat for them. It really was a special, special Christmas. Well, the, the artisanal candle making, the artisanal candle uh, area is quite crowded now. So. <laughs> You probably got out at the right time. Competing with big candle and (laughs) candle. I mean, they've got a monopoly on things, so it's hard for an up and coming candle maker to actually break in. Hey, you beat big theaters. You could beat big candle theater. Exactly. Um, You, you got, you have spent an inordinate amount of time, which Andy and I love um, on with, with culture pop on breaking bad and um, better Better call Saul. Yeah, a lot of guests from from that universe. Yep. Which is the better show? Do you think? <sighs> Such a tough question. Um, it's harder than I think a lot of people recognize. I I continue your response, but I I think it is much closer than a lot of think. Yeah, than, than a lot of people actually give credit. You know, Better Call Saul is more subtle than Breaking Bad. You know, it's his character is he's breaking bad a lot more slowly 
than Brian's character did, than Walter did in Breaking Bad. Um, that felt like that went a lot faster. I mean, Jimmy is slowly Breaking Bad, and he's not even breaking that bad. Um, I, I guess I... I guess it's Breaking Bad because the universe was established by Breaking Bad. But I'll tell you, uh, Better Call Saul is just a hell of a good show. People who aren't watching it should. Bob Odenkirk's performance is fantastic. I feel like, I mean, I think Breaking Bad ultimately is going to be remembered as the bigger achievement. I think it's going to end up with more sort of juice in the world of pop culture and the world of television history. Yep. But I think you can make an argument that Better Call Saul is the more impressive achievement. Because when, remember when that show got announced, the over the overarching reaction was, seriously? Like, really? Yeah, like, that. The, yeah I, mean, I think most people thought it was going to be a bad idea, that it wouldn't work. Like, the idea of centering this around Bob Odenkirk, who, you know, he was funny on Breaking Bad, but didn't seem like a lead character. And also, too, the expectations were so much greater and you know there were in place as opposed to like when breaking bad people forget that show did not begin as a hit no. and it it actually benefited from that writer strike yeah tom schnoz who is the executive producer of better call saul and did the podcast says that when they first started figuring out how to do better call saul it started out as a half hour comedy that's oh. how different how radically wow. different it could have been like, See, like that, I think would have been a disaster. I think oh. that's what people were, that's what people were expecting. I think, yep. and that would have been bad. Yeah, they get a subtle, textured, rich performances. I mean, across the board in uh, in Better Call Saul, um, but the universe is established by Breaking Bad, and Walter White still becomes the great, you know, anti-hero in the history of of television. So you've you've got to give Breaking Bad its due. You guys are both better at this, at, at remembering the context. Was this a, I know there's always like, oh, I'm interested in like a spinoff of this guy or spinoff of that guy. Was there a, I mean, was this a, a sequel or a spinoff or whatever, like however you want to categorize it that people were asking for? No, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think people saw Breaking Bad as a perfect seven, seven seasons or whatever. Well, I think it was seven seasons. Um, and I think there's always a fear to go back and to somehow do something that is going to, uh, hurt the original or hurt the way the original is viewed. Um, so no, nobody, this was a sequel that nobody was asking for. Uh, technically it's a, technically it's a prequel. Right. So yeah. actually leading up to the beginning of Breaking Bad. But no, nobody was asking for it. Um, and it's not nearly as big a hit as Breaking Bad was. Breaking Bad became, you know, a total phenomenon. If, if Better Call Saul ever went on Netflix, which is what happened with Breaking Bad, that might change the dynamic a lot. Because a lot of people, when it goes to Netflix, all of a sudden catch up on it uh, really fast. Well, it, it's more challenging, though. Like for yeah. you as a viewer, uh, Better Call Saul is a more challenging show. Like it requires more patience. Like you said, it, it moves slower. It doesn't have like the type of action set pieces that we saw, especially as Breaking Bad went along. You know, like the, the characters aren't quite as big, even though there's some crossover. You know, Gustavo Fring is in there. The, the yeah. cousins are in there. But it, it's it's a very different show that I think requires patience in a way that, 
Breaking Bad doesn't, but also too, there, the, the amount of content and TV that is available at the time of Breaking Bad versus mm -hmm. Better Call Saul now, you're taking more risks asking audience for that type of patience. Like think things have to click, I think, pretty quickly to, to enter the zeitgeist the way it did for Breaking Bad. Yeah, it's funny. It happens two ways, right? There's the crazy sensation, which there are still breakouts like Queen's Gambit. Yeah. Crazy. Everybody watched Queen's Gambit almost all at the same time. Did you guys watch it? I did. Yeah. But, but but it's different than what's different about this is, you know, th there's a difference between streamers where yeah. you can watch the entire season. I binge watched uh, Queen's Gambit in a weekend versus yeah. the communal shows like, you know, Game of Thrones was something that stopped the Internet every Sunday right on HBO. Yeah. And, you know, Breaking Bad did the same thing. There aren't many of those. Mandalorian did it to some degree. She drops on Disney+. Plus. WandaVision uh, is doing it to some degree. But there aren't a lot of those. I mean, I think the closest thing to that right now of shows that are running, I guess you could say WandaVision or maybe Succession. But none of them are as big as Breaking Bad or... Succession for me, I always watch Succession the night it comes out, right? Yes, I mean, yes, yes. So that might be the closest thing. And that show has picked up a lot of steam in the last couple of years. It but it's still not Game of Thrones or Breaking Bad at its peak. Like, I don't think that exists anymore. I don't think that will. I think we're too fractured. The only place that exists, honestly, that communal experience now is uh, sports. Um, yeah. you, know, it, you watch Game 7 of the NBA Finals. You watch Game 6 of the World Series. I mean, it's, it's not everybody, but it's certainly everybody in our world. Uh, is watching it at the same time and talking about it afterwards, which is what keeps me in business. I'll tell you, as you had just mentioned, Succession. Yeah, I am. I am absolute. I'm. I'm pretty fascinated with this in general, but with Succession in particular, the idea of how content, you know, how different shows, movies, whatever, address the pandemic, and like yeah. you know what we just lived through, and like how how much of that is going to be a thing. And succession feels like a show that has to on some level because you're talking about like, yeah, I mean, you're, it's a show that's built around a global empire and in particular yeah. global news. I think they're going to do it for Queen 10 parks. I, I don't think we want to see these I, I'm not characters in masks. No, no, I don't mean I don't mean like we we need to see them all socially. You know, first of all, the Roy's don't social distance. The Roy's don't care about keeping other people healthy. They they they're indifferent to that. But I just mean like the idea that this happened because right. in particular this would be something that affected them. They've got like in, parks, they've got networks, they've got Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like and, and they're, they're such good writers that if cuz I I think addressing the pandemic could be an incredibly hokey thing, an incredibly heavy-handed, very poorly executed thing yeah. for a lot of shows. But they're so good at what they do; like they give me a lot of hope for how they're going to do it. Because again, I, I don't see how you, I don't see how you, you ignore can't. it. Yeah, I think you can ignore it. I do. Um, you know, I see I see shows on TV, uh, cop shows where they're wearing masks and not Reno, not Reno nine one one, whatever those nine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a uh, um, it, like nine one one Dallas nine. Yeah, it, there's the one. One of them is Rob Lowe. One of them is Rob Lowe. They're all wearing masks. Um, and there's one about a hospital, uh, Amsterdam, uh, Amsterdam Hospital. They're all wearing masks. It's like honestly, when I'm watching, well, that's a hospital, Steve. That that's just good practice. No, but I mean that's pandemic style. Oh, okay. Style. But uh, 
when I'm watching TV, I don't think I'm looking to be reminded of how shitty the world is. Like I'm looking for an escape. So I would love to see a high-end adult um, yeah. show like uh, Succession just play it out like there was no pandemic. Well, at the, you remember at the very beginning of this, because it's been a year, you go, you go back to the beginning, like everybody in the first week was like, I'm going to watch Contagion on Netflix or whatever yeah. it is. And I think that's when we all thought like in a month we'd be able to leave our houses again. And yeah. then by the, by like week, you know, by like the second or third month and everybody kind of started to understand where this is like, no. And like the Michael Bay movie and granted it might just have tanked because my, it's Michael Bay and yeah. wasn't very good. What was it called? Like songbird or something like that. I forget what it was, but it was like doom porn for, uh, yeah. for this. And it's like year four of the pandemic and, you can't leave your house without like, and you get, they, they'll kill you. Um, right. Like that eight people watched that because nobody wanted to see it. So to your yeah. point, it's interesting. Like, how do you deal with it? Yeah. I mean, most shows that are shooting and a lot of them are, are shooting still. Um, I just talked to somebody from the, uh, the Goldberg show and they're shooting, you know, socially distanced and, you know, really careful, but the characters are not in a pandemic. The characters are in a regular non-pandemic. Sure world and i think that's that's what i want out of tv now i don't want to see um i, I don't want to watch a show where everybody is constantly reminding me uh that there's a global pandemic on our hands oh absolutely I, again i i think 95 percent or more of the shows out there movies out there should not attempt it because it won't work well just succession is the one that i'm specifically yeah. curious about just because it feels topical and they're so good the, the last thing i wanted to ask you about you guys on uh last thing for me. Last thing <laughs> I, I I wish I could roll my chair backwards. Um the you guys recently did an interview with uh uh Glenn Turman. Uh folks may remember him from uh Ma Rain's Black Bottom, the uh, The Wire, been in a zillion theatrical productions. I didn't realize until listening to your show, it was a really good interview, just how long he's been doing this. Yeah, uh, I mean he he's been around as you pointed out, like he did theater with Sidney Poitier when he was a, a when he a was a kid. kid. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Chadwick Boseman, I think right now is considered the front runner rightly to win best actor for yeah. his performance in Ma Rainey. I mean, it's just, he's going to win best actor. Yeah. It's, it's an amazing performance. And also given the context of his death, but I'm curious how you think this performance is going to be sort of remembered in the lexicon of Oscar winning performances, just because of that context of his death. And, you know, we've seen the way it resonated with like Heath Ledger when, right. when he won for that, but also more broadly too, how you think sort of this year and the movies that are involved with awards season, how they're going to resonate and be remembered because it was such a weird year yeah. for movies and, and content consumption in general. Like it's it's hard to know exactly like what actually hit with audiences. Yeah, it's really hard to know. I mean, honestly, you know, I I made a list of my ten favorite movies of the year and I put it on Instagram, and the average reaction was, "I've not seen any of these." Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, people, it, it's so scattershot right now, and it's so fragmented where you can get this movie and where you can get that movie um, that I, I don't think people are, you know, you needed stuff like. And, and again, they were terribly rated Golden Globes and they were technically just a disaster. Um, so movies didn't even get propped up by that. 
Um, but you know, you find a movie like Nomadland on Hulu, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, very good. Which is on on Netflix. Uh, Prime has got Sound of Metal. But but again, there's no like unifying. Normally, we would have theaters. You'd see it in a theater, mm-hmm. and then it would wind up streaming somewhere. Uh, now they just wind up on this bunch of different streaming networks, and nobody's got a way to keep track of what's where. And so I think people are seeing fewer and fewer of them. Uh, I think this year the Academy Awards could be helpful because I mean I would hope that that you know everybody saw the speech that Chadwick Boseman's uh, widow gave. It was mm-hmm. uh, on social media and, and people. Uh, it was a beautiful speech. Um, I hope people go and look at Ma Rainey's Black Bottom because of that, because it is a, it's an unbelievable performance for Chad. So good, yeah. It is, it is career crowning. I, I will say <laughs> to your point that you're making, I, if I saw you in 2020, you make my top ten list, definitely, yeah. definitionally. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. People, and I think people have been more hung up on television than they are. Correct. On, you know, way more people are catching up on Shit's Creek than are watching Nomadland right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I mean Shit's Creek in a you know weird sort of sick way benefited from the pandemic. I think a because of people being cooped up in their house, but also people wanting something feel good. Like yeah. like I feel like Ted Lasso has benefited Absolutely. from that. Like, it's been exactly that. It's been like comfort food. Uh, yeah. So is Shit's Creek. So is there's a show I'm watching right now called Kim's Convenience. Uh, it's on Netflix. It's about a Korean uh, Korean family that owns a uh, bodega in Toronto, uh, and it has very much that Schitt's Creek vibe. But I think we're all looking for something that's more upbeat, that's got more heart. And in a lot of ways, I think you know Tiger King. Everybody talked about Schitt's Creek. I think is going to be one of the shows of the pandemic because it feels like everybody watched it during the course of the last year. Yeah, but that, it didn't feel like. It didn't feel like anybody was watching it though before. Like oh. I, I don't think I don't think I've ever seen a show become such a massive thing, basically at its end point. Like I, I can't think of an example like that. Yeah, no, it was, and it's um, it just it, because it was on Netflix and because it was the ultimate word of mouth project. Because I had never seen an episode, started it, and then finished it within three weeks. Um, it was like that kind of, that kind of show, that kind of good. So, yeah, I mean, I'll remember that as one of the shows that really stuck out during the uh, pandemic time, by the way, one year as of next Friday, the 12th, one year, me and Ireland, will have been, we will not have seen each other in a full year. It's it Ireland's crazy. Ireland's Ireland calls it his best 365 days. <laughs> Having a blast. Best, best year ever. Uh, John, John is John's doing the opposite of you. He's standing at the at the right aid going, you don't need that vaccine. You don't need that. Let's let's work remotely for a little while longer. I wish I, I wish I golfed. You know, John had the advantage of golfing during all this, and I don't golf. It's a chance to get outside. I, mm-hmm. I never learned and never, you know, growing up, we never had the uh, I hated the kids that went to the country club on the weekends. It's like, screw you. I'm I'm gonna go play racquetball for free. You go ahead and play golf. Um no, I you never, sure I sure got your revenge on them with those Ramley seats. Those, <laughs> those new seats you got in SoFi, my friend. That's right. That's right. Think of all the artisanal candles those people aren't getting this oh, holiday season. Can you imagine? Um, all right. Steve Mason, you know him from the Mason and Ireland show, 710 ESPN. Still, what, three to seven? Uh, we're back you, to four. One to four. We're moving target. 
Yeah, everything there. <laughs> you know, this person's on that show. Scott Kaplan's there. All kinds of things are. Yeah. Um, Culture Pop Podcast, which you get everywhere you get podcasts. Download that. Really, really great interviews uh, that Steve's been getting. Fantastic lineup of guests they've had lately. Uh, they, being you and Sue, have had lately. Uh, he's a painter, he is a singer, and he is half vaccinated. Um, thanks for doing this, man. We appreciate it. It's great Absolutely. to see you. Love, love doing it. Glad you guys are doing well and happy to come back anytime as long as you do it before uh, seven o'clock. Right. Like, it, <laughs> it's like an old, you're like a golden girl. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. If a golden girl smoked weed right out at seven o'clock, I would say. <laughs> yeah. We had a hard out. <laughs> the hard uh, out. Yeah, uh, Steve gave us a time that he was not going to uh, not going to go past. Um, nope. So he was our first West Coast early taper, like he was a you know a, like a seventy year old going to the soup plantation or something. Uh, he had to be out, um, but that was fun. I learned a lot about Steve that I did not know, legit did not know, and we've known Steve for what. 15, 15 years now at this point? Like that. 15 years, and, and we've worked with him like quite a while. We both consider him friend, like a friend of ours. Like This is stuff I had no Candle idea making? about. Yale no Drama point. School? Like, nope, didn't know. I mean, he knows I'm a theater major. Like, I would figure at some point. Look, I mean, the idea that Mason, I feel like Mason lives drama school. I did not know he was admitted to one. <laughs> There's yeah. a difference. No, who knew? Who ah, knew? This was fun. So, yeah, um, if you what? are interested, you can probably uh, hit him up uh, at Venice Mace on Twitter or Instagram and, and see if you can buy those paintings uh, or some Frank Thomas rookie cards, uh, which he also has for sale. Um, good stuff coming up next week. Uh, comedian Mike Malloy, we're going to take advantage of the All-Star break and do uh, try to do a few other things. Uh, comedian Mike Malloy is going to join us on Monday. We've got a really cool guest on Tuesday, a muralist. Uh, by the name of Robert Vargas. He just put up a new uh, Kobe mural uh, on the west side, and he's done a bunch of them around the city. And so uh, mural culture is something that's become obviously really um, kind of been focused on a lot. And yeah. I, I'm excited to talk you to somebody I, who actually you and I does both, You and I both live near a few uh, Kobe murals. And Absolutely. It, it was funny. During – during the the different periods of unrest during the summer and you know when things at times got pretty you know unruly and stuff was getting damaged the one thing you knew in los angeles was not going to get touched was a kobe mural mm -hmm. like that That's was true. going to be left alone that that would have been honestly taking your life into very dangerous hands if yeah. you attempted to bother one of those murals. So uh, Robert Vargas is going to join us on Tuesday. We'll talk to him. Uh, I'm bringing you that conversation. Uh, and then Wednesday, Andy, we are going to do something we've never done before. We've had two people on. So it's a, we've gone quad box a few times now. We've gone quad box. How many people are coming on with us on, on Wednesday? Um, eight max, maybe fewer, but eight max because the platform does not allow for more than 10 and the two of us have to be there. So, so it's going it, to be eight. Are we going Octobox at the least? Uh, at minimum? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know. Uh, it could be, what's 10? Decobox? Decobox. We'll call it Decobox. Sure. We're going Decobox. Like, I don't we even know what that looks like. It's going to be we, crazy. It's You know what it is? It's the Brady Bunch plus one. 
Yep, it's the Lauer uh, Lauer After Hours guys. Lauer, the the if you if you've not seen this podcast, it's a lot of fun. If you happen to be a fan of the Dan Lebetard show, uh, you've probably seen a little bit which of we it. Both but are. Um, which we both are for sure. We went on their show. It was a ton of fun. So we're looking mm-hmm. forward to trying something absolutely wackadoodle, as it they could say, be and having a complete shit show. It might be, um, but hey, we'll give it a try. Uh, and Jordan Liggins and, and uh, Haley O'Shaughnessy, who are both great on the NBA, and uh, they're going to join us on Friday. They have a new podcast yep. to promote as well. So we'll do that next week. And then uh, appreciate everybody's comments on the chat tonight um, about the show. And we'll keep everybody updated on what's going on. We'll see everybody next week. Donk, you need a lot.